Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Mets fans, welcome back to Amazing Avenue Audio, the show. My name is Brian. Me, as always, is Chris. And Chris, we recorded exactly seven days ago today. Uh, not actually eight days. We recorded a day early, so we we, we kind of lied last week, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> but when we started, we were talking about our hopes for the Mets season, for the start of the season. The Mets have gone five and two since the season started. I will make a case later in the show. They probably could have gone seven and zero, oh, but that's a whole other story. Generally, before we start breaking stuff down, how do you feel about the direction of the New York Mets seven games in? Very good. Um, you cannot, although we will probably, but you can't really complain with <laughs> that kind of a start to the season. And I watch me. I, I think. Well, I mean, I have complaints too. So I'm just kidding. Don't worry. But <laughs> um, I think the fact that the Nationals just took a series from the Braves sort of reiterates a point that I've always made, I think, uh, at least in recent years, that we should never discount beating up on a bad team. That is not a given. Uh, You would think as Mets fans that we've experienced enough of the Mets losing to terrible or mediocre teams in crucial situations that maybe we'd realize this. But there is absolutely nothing wrong. 4-0 against them would have been great. But 3-1 and one to start the season against the Nationals, uh, a, a very bad team who then turned around and beat the Braves two out of three. 
it helps to put things in perspective a little bit, I think. So the fact that this team has looked this good with Jacob deGrom on the shelf, um, that's that's encouraging. And I have concerns, but there's nothing wrong with being happy that the Mets are in first place with a winning record uh, and set to play their first home game of the year in that context. That's, that's something to enjoy and embrace. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel very similarly, you know, I I think that there are some things that we can quibble with perhaps. And, and I, you know, look, part of why we do this show is because people want to hear us quibble. So we, we, if we were just like, Nope, everything's great. See you next week. That would be a very boring podcast. Um, So we have to quibble a little bit, but, I think there's a lot to be said about the way the Mets are playing the games right now. And I hate kind of saying like the, you know, I I don't think that the attitude of playing the game is the most important thing. I think the way you play the game is the most important thing, but it seems like they are being very patient right now, taking a lot of pitches. I I have mixed feelings about the, uh, the sort of um, the propensity for stealing and taking the extra base. That has not worked out as many times as it has, more or less. It's been a wash so far for the team. So, you know, I don't necessarily love uh, that. But that's that's more a me thing, I think, than a, than a Mets thing. Um, but I think we have to start talking about the starting pitching. Because with the exception of Taiwan Walker, who looked great before he got hurt, and then I don't know if we're counting David Peterson – who looked great coming in for Taiwan Walker, the Mets starting pitching has been nothing short of impressive since the season started. Tyler McGill put up two absolutely astonishing for Tyler McGill starts. Um, Max Scherzer did not have his best stuff in either of his two starts, but you know did very well for himself and really showed the sort of attitude and... Uh, sort of bulldog mentality that he is known for. He showed that in spades both starts. Carlos Carrasco looked like the Carlos Carrasco of old, maybe not quite to the vintage he was in Chicago, in Cleveland rather, but certainly better than he was um, last season for the Mets. And Chris Bassett put on one of the most fun starting pitching performances I've seen, I can remember in a long time, just throwing a million pitches in a million different speeds in a million different places on the plate. Like just a really, really enjoyable starting pitching performance. So of the starting pitching, what's, what do you want to talk about first? What's what's the first thing you want to discuss? I think that McGill, right? I mean, he's just added velocity. Uh, it was there in his second start. wasn't wasn't a fluke. Um, that sort of thing can get your attention. And I, I'm still a little skeptical, and maybe I shouldn't be, but... We've seen really exciting stuff from him and then a little more challenging. Um, But man, uh, (laughs) zero ERA, no walks, and hitting 99 with somewhat uh, regularity, if I can put it that way. Um, Yeah. that's, That's pretty cool. And this is somebody who I didn't... I was worried would not be capable of holding down 
a fifth spot in the rotation. Um, but yeah, uh, averaging high 90s, hitting 99 with your fastball, and a low walk rate very rarely go hand in hand. Like That's what makes Jacob deGrom special. That's what makes Max Scherzer special, even if he doesn't throw quite that hard. But um, guys who can do those sorts of things and control it are just extremely rare. So I don't know that I'm ready to say that McGill is that guy permanently or for the next few years or whatever, but um, what a what a pleasant surprise to even be able to have that thought. Yeah, I mean, just the fact that... And look, I, I do not anticipate this continuing at this level. But even just to say that over his first two starts, there's not really a discernible difference between what McGill did and what DeGrom did on a macro scale. Like, obviously... DeGrom stuff is always going to be better. But if you told me, you know, DeGrom for the first two games he pitched did not give up a walk, did not give up a run, I'd say, okay, that sounds like vintage DeGrom. That's what McGill did. Right. So even if it's just <laughs> over two starts, he did what you'd expect DeGrom to do for a couple of starts. And, you know, I was talking with my brother about this the other day. I think I, I think when I, when I was growing up, I wanted the team – I wanted my team to be what I used to do on my RBI baseball team, which is I would do a team of all – uh, Mark McGuire's and one Doc Gooden, where I, I would just have like the the I would want the strongest guy with the best fastball hits the most home runs on my team. And the older I get, the more I realize the the more I just value depth. And I know that's partly from just getting smarter as a baseball fan, but also just from I've watched enough insert eighth starter here games right to know that the team just needs to be deeper. Every team needs to be deeper than they think they're going to need to be. And the fact that both Peterson and McGill, especially McGill, stepped up this week just shows you that the Mets do have more starting pitching depth than they pro- than we probably gave them credit for. And that McGill might make some interesting conversations happen in two months if he's still pitching this way. I mean, he's, he's, he's not going to keep the ground out of the rotation. He's not going to do that. No. But... But, you know, if he's throwing up a low ERA and still hitting 99, how do you let that guy go back to AAA? Right. Yeah, no, no. I, and I don't think they would. Uh, but what a massive shift in <laughs> uh, one week ago, talking to Mets fan friends and, and uh, among Amazing Avenue contributors and everything, and my approach to it was that you're going from not just the best pitcher on the Mets, but a pitcher in a historically great stretch. Uh, When he's healthy, the best in baseball, unquestionably, you're going from that to borderline major leaguer. Um, And I think even if, Tyler McGill finishes the season with a four or something ERA. I think putting up DeGrom like performances while DeGrom is out is something that we should, I don't know, give some weight to, right? Yes. Uh, at the end of the year, and without 
trying to sound too much like I'm getting old and turning into an old school baseball guy. <laughs> but at the end of the year, if somebody was excellent for you at a time that you really needed it and finishes with stats that look okay, I think that person should get credit for that performance and not just be relegated to being, oh, he was he was just a four or something ERA guy again. Right. Um, you know, we, I'm not going full pitch to the score here, but uh, <laughs> I do think that we can acknowledge that somebody stepped up when uh, the darkest news of this season so far was that DeGrom was hurt. Right. Um, so to fill in very admirably uh, should not be forgotten, even if at the end of the year DeGrom is back and healthy and won his Cy Young Award and Tyler McGill is barely hanging on to the fifth spot in the rotation. Right. Now, I, I mentioned David Peterson. How much of that start did you get to watch when Peterson pitched? Uh, that game I saw all of. Yeah. What did you think of Peterson? Because I think he's, to me, another very interesting player in this early season. Yeah, I mean, he, he looked good. Um, I'm going to need a little more out of him. to, <laughs> to believe okay, it. Sure. He, I, he didn't have a massive bump in velocity or anything along those lines. Um, but, you know, this might be shocking. Uh, some of the takes we see on Mets Twitter might be a little extreme. And and the reality with him you know, you is, is probably uh, in between the highest of hopes from uh, the best numbers he put up earlier in his career, uh, which is still very young, and the takes that he's useless as a major league pitcher. Obviously, neither of those things are true. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I liked what I saw. I need to see a little bit more. And given Taiwan Walker's uh, shoulder bursitis, I think we'll probably get the opportunity. We, we've learned the Buckshaw Walter uh, does not like to commit ahead of time to starters pitching on particular days. Yes. I'm not really sure what happened to him that made him so afraid of that, but yeah. It, okay. It, sometimes there's an obvious answer and, and he just doesn't want to give it yet. And that's fine. And uh, Buck is a, a whole topic unto himself here early yes. on. Yes, he is. But um, yeah, I suspect we'll have an opportunity to, more thoroughly judge David Peterson, um, but what I what I was taken by in the Peterson performance was just he seemed to me to be the most at ease he's been on the mound in some time, and I I, I don't know if that had anything to do with the quality of his pitching, or if it just happened to be that he was pitching well, therefore he looks comfortable. Or he looked comfortable, therefore he was pitching well. Like if this is a chicken or the egg situation, if, if he threw better because he just felt more at ease on the mound, or if he was throwing better, and you understand what I'm saying. Um, but I was impressed with sort of how in control he seemed and how non-flustered he got at times. And, you know, maybe it was just his youth in, in past starts, or maybe I'm misremembering 
sort of his reaction to things because again time is a bandit and i i could not tell you anything about david peterson <laughs> pretty much uh before last week because just i have forgotten so much baseball stuff between the pandemic and the lockout and all that i feel like my baseball knowledge is at an all-time low here um but he just seemed more comfortable on the mound to me and i think that if you know again he's he's going to give up some runs this is going to happen but if he can replicate sort of the cool collected demeanor that he had on the mound and you pair that with a you know a performance that is not totally out of character from last week and again like that's that's a pretty useful player you have on your team right there and that's really good um but enough about those guys let's talk about the the, the three starters that we saw that were supposed to that, that were supposed to be cornerstones of this rotation for the year and uh so far have impressed give me your uh, give me your max scherzer, max scherzer thoughts uh <laughs> it's kind of crazy to look at a guy through two starts and be like oh 3.27 ERA. Wow, that's high. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, he's been very enjoyable to watch, although much more so on the SNY broadcast than on the Apple TV <laughs> Plus broadcast. Yes. I uh, did feel like that one sort of robbed us a little bit of getting to just watch Max Scherzer pitch. They didn't, among many other notes, uh, about that broadcast. They just didn't talk about that that much. And here's an, a Hall of Fame pitcher in the making. Uh, Starting on a new team. Right, against his longtime team with whom he won Cy Young Awards, World Series. World Series, <laughs> you yeah. Know. And, and I don't know. I mean, I've always been somebody who leans toward pitching as a baseball fan. And it's interesting to watch an all-time great like Scherzer do what he does at a relatively advanced age. Um, Mm -hmm. And just talking about how he's pitching, I mean, he still throws pretty hard. It's not like that's fallen off all that much, but it's just interesting to watch that guy. uh, Like Bartolo Colon found himself in his late 30s and and, and R.A. Dickey too. Uh, you know, in his mid to late thirties. And both of those guys were pitchers that we got to watch uh, excel at their craft, despite not having a plus stuff. Right. Right. Um, Scherzer still kind of does <laughs> right, yeah. the, the notion that um, anybody could have thought that the Mets committed too much time to him in this contract that they signed him to, it to me was ludicrous. Uh, you know, we've gotten to see, and, and that is not a knock on the other two pitchers. I think watching them do what they did was thoroughly enjoyable and impressive, but they were making it work with much less. And that's part of the story. But getting to watch a guy who has this much experience who still got it, like, what? <laughs> <laughs> um, and I thought it was very interesting that after his start uh, this afternoon, he acknowledged that he was sort of adjusting to the fact that his hamstring felt better. And I don't think that's just, you know, I don't think that's a lie coming from him. I think he was being honest. Right. About that. And that that's a, 
it's a fascinating thing to see. You know, we've seen Jacob deGrom uh, make adjustments on the fly and to have somebody else out there who seems fully capable of that. Um, that's a treat. Yeah, absolutely. I think that the greatest shame of the two Scherzer starts is that we have not been able to hear Ronnie talk about him because one of the beauties of the Mets broadcast is that you have a great hitter who is great talking about hitting and a great pitcher who is great talking about pitching. And so, you know, just the fact that no offense to Keith when talking about pitching, but Keith, you want to hear Keith talk about the hitting and you want to hear Ron talk about the pitching. So I'm a little bummed out. We haven't gotten a Ron uh, game yet. I presume he might have his next start, his first home start, which is scheduled to be Tuesday right now. I don't know if that's going to remain that way or not because there's the off day tomorrow. But um, so we'll, we'll see about that. But yeah, I mean, Scherzer has been really interesting to watch. Today was a really fascinating start because he clearly was having a hard time finding the strike zone early in the game. And you could see everybody, including him at some point, sort of giving him the benefit of the doubt from the first couple of hitters that he walked. But once he walked that third hitter, you just saw something change in him where, you know, we've all seen the gif of him muttering like, you know, motherfucking <laughs> piece of shit, whatever, you know, whatever he's saying. Like, he wasn't quite at that level yet today, but he was closer to that than you'd think for us for, you know, game seven of the season. Just frustration from his own performance and just watching him gut that out and basically say, like, no, I'm not going to let this be the story of the day. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to muscle through this and I'm going to get some outs. And that's exactly what he did. And like you said, it's fun to watch like from a, from a pure um, analytical mind place. Sometimes it's more fun to watch somebody who maybe isn't just the natural talent anymore, but has to make those adjustments because it just makes you think about the game in a different way. Uh, it's kind of like watching, um, like going to see a band where the lead singer can't hit the high notes anymore, where you're you're there to kind of see how they manage to perform the songs when you know some when David Lee Roth can't hit the high notes anymore, or whatever it is. You know, there's a certain like just for me as a musician, there's a certain like uh, curiosity factor of just how how is the diminishing talent going to affect the overall performance here. And so you get a similar thing like that with with Scherzer, but he is still operating at an incredibly high level. I mean, I, I think, you know, it, the season is young, so who knows? But I I am not expecting a seismic shift in his abilities this year or next year. If he lasts all three years, I don't even know if we'll see it the third year because he just seems like he is both made of really – steely stuff and also somebody who is going to figure out what his body and arm can do right now and do that right now thing the best he can even if it means not being the pitcher who got him there if that makes sense yeah yeah, yeah it does uh any any bassett or carrasco thoughts uh super encouraged by carrasco <clears throat> and again I knew it was the Nationals lineup, but um, 
he just seemed very much like the pitcher that we expected he would be when he came over to the team with or alongside uh, Francisco Lindor. And uh, Bassett, man, <laughs> uh, who, how could you not love this guy? Uh, <laughs> between the quotes he gives and the way he pitched. Um, and then him him rocking the iPad with uh, with McGill last night, showing him like some some good uh, some good intel on what the Nationals hitters were doing. I mean, what the Phillies hitters were doing with his high fastball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no. Um, so just very happy, very impressed with what they've all shown us as a group so far, and uh, I, yeah. We'll see how they handle Walker being out for at least 10 days. And we'll see how long they can keep this up until Jacob deGrom hopefully is fully healthy and ready to return. But uh, there's no reason not to feel good about the team in the early going here on on the pitching side, on the starting pitching side. Well, I was going to say, there is a pitching side that isn't so pleasant, and that side is the bullpen. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now, I, I want to point out something that our own uh, Dave C. said in the comments of today's uh, game, which is basically that, while it's very easy to be down on the bullpen right now, the bullpen pitchers are probably the folks who are suffering the most from the abbreviated spring training, and that if you look around baseball, this is happening not just in the Mets, but happening almost everywhere. And so while... He acknowledged, and I think you and I will both acknowledge, the Mets should have done more to bolster the bullpen this offseason. I think Dave's point is well taken. Yeah, no, I, I get it, but at the same time, if it's if it's all relative, then I still think the Mets' current bullpen comes out below average once yes. everybody adjusts. So. I don't know. It's just been so frustrating. Looking back, I at least get it more in the Wilpon years, especially the the ones that were closer to their whole financial situation, to put it nicely. Um, I can look at those and, and get being hesitant to uh, give money to relievers and all that, but now... I don't know, man. It just <laughs> who cares? It, it, it seems like Sandy Alderson does not believe in giving relievers two year deals, right? And I, and I understand that, but 
come on. Right. And it feels like Frank Francisco was the one that he gave one to. And then that, that <laughs> he got solidified, burned. like, yep, that's it. Never again. Um, and, and hey, in fairness, they gave more than a one-year deal to Trevor May, uh, which I think was one of their better bullpen additions in recent memory. Um, but it's just been a weird, long-standing hesitancy to make any significant additions in the bullpen. Um, and it's concerning. I think this team could be very good, even if the bullpen is responsible for half of its losses, <laughs> which is a backhanded compliment, but, um, just imagine if they, I'm not saying the best bullpen in the last 10 years. Right. But, just imagine if this bullpen could be good, above average, pretty good, whatever you want to say, you know? I mean, it's almost hard for me to remember a Mets bullpen that was pretty good. I know it happened, <laughs> but well, yeah. it's, been so, it's been so long since I feel like they've gone hard enough on the bullpen. Right. Well, I, statistically, I think 2015 was probably the best. Mm-hmm. Um, but even then, it, 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 I don't know. It could always be better. And I think citing the volatility of relief pitching can sometimes be a cop-out. Yes. Yes, it can be. Okay. It, 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 it doesn't make it not true. Right. But, it, it, but it's also a bit of a cop-out. You're right about that. Right. Yeah, we all know, but that doesn't mean never take a risk. Correct. Um, is there anybody in the bullpen that you're particularly high or low on? Mm. No, <laughs> not yet. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, we're, we're dealing with such tiny amounts of uh, information. I, I think I, I can say a particularly low uh, for me, Sean Reed Foley. Yeah. Who one year ago, I was willing to buy in and be like, oh man, the Mets got this. You know, he's just one of the three guys who comes over in the Stephen Matz trade. I had burnt out on Stephen Matz as a fan. Uh, and hey, this one dude is going to be a two inning, three inning reliever type. Um, convinced myself early in the season that he was going to be what somebody like Garrett Whitlock turned out to be for the Red Sox. Um, what Seth Lugo maybe has been for the Mets at, at mo- you know, at the peak of his pitching career, uh, which hopefully he can get back to, but I, I was, I was really hoping he was going to be the, uh, the 2021 Darren Oliver. Yeah. Yeah. Very uh, underappreciated 2006 Mets. Yes. Darren Oliver, but um yeah, I, I allowed myself to be very high on Sean Reed Foley a, a year ago, and now, um, now I'm super skeptical. And uh, when you haven't struck anyone out and you've walked a few dudes, it's kind of easy to feel that way. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um. So yeah, he's he's the one that I'm. <clears throat> 
probably most concerned about. And then Joely Rodriguez, welcome to the team, 15.43 ERA. Uh, That that one hurts for me just because of the that because of the loss of uh, Miguel Castro, who I who I happen to really like. Right. And it, it stings because they could have definitely got a lefty of his caliber on the free agent market. Yes. And it also stings because Chase and Shreve is so much better than him, and Chase and Shreve costs nothing. Not that I'm, not that I'm all in on Chase and Shreve or anything, but you know, it just seems like early in the season, Chase and Shreve has has been what you would expect a sort of lower tier lefty reliever would be. Yeah, and that costs nothing. So yeah. Um. So I want to talk about the bullpen for a second here because, you know, I guess theoretically you can blame the Mets' two losses on the bullpen. I will somewhat disagree with that. I will say that Sunday's game against the Nationals was lost because Pete Alonso made a couple of bad throws defensively, and that's okay. Uh, Those things are going to happen every now and then, and you're going to lose games because of it. It's a bummer, but it's not, you know, the end of the world. And then I feel like the second game they lost was really lost because of injuries. Because if Taiwan Walker had gone the four or five innings he was planning on going, and then Peterson went the four innings that he was planning on going, well, that gets you through most of the game at that point. And so while, yes, it was technically the bullpen who blew the game, the bullpen was put in a position where they had to be overworked, and maybe that's not fair. I don't know. I don't, I'm not making excuses for the bullpen. I'm not. But I I feel like while the bullpen has been bad, it hasn't been maybe as bad as we uh, as we uh, feared he, that it would be. There's still time for it to be that bad. <laughs> yeah, there is still time for the bullpen to totally implode. But but I think right now it's 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 not. It's not not reason to worry too much though they should certainly be trying to get some bullpen help and uh, i wonder if there's a uh i wonder if there is a person out there who makes sense for for the mess of target if dom smith and or jd davis gets hot one of them seems like a natural person to flip for a bullpen piece yeah that which is not news we've said that before so Right, yeah, no, that that's something that would make sense to see happen. I, I will say that although my uh, current state of mind in the bullpen is a little more negative than that, uh, I do not think that Buck Walters' bullpen use is something that deserves heavy criticism thus far. Um, I know it's frustrating to see a team lose with the reliever who's not the best one available on the mound, but I have, and we collectively have, criticized Mets managers in April's past for burning out good relievers, right? Mm-hmm. And as long it, the thing with Buckshaw Walter right now is that when he says something along the lines of, of you know, he's balancing out the workload, um, it's too early in the season to make a guy throw, I forget what the exact numbers were, but three out of four days or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, 
I right now believe him that that is a plan and one that he's just the one who's the, the face up and implementing, right? Um, I reserve the right to change my mind on this later in the year <laughs> if there are bad sure. bullpen decisions. But uh, as someone who has criticized burning out arms in April, uh, I'm, I'm willing to believe him when it comes to trying to avoid that and, and knowing that this is a very long season and you have to manage and rotate these guys. So if there's a complaint about the quality of the pitcher that's on the mound in a given situation, uh, that should fall to the front office for not supplying I agree, more I agree with that. good relievers. So, yeah. I, I totally agree with that. Um, let's keep on the Buck Showalter train here. Is there anything aside from his bullpen usage that you want to say about Buck just yet? Um, certainly seems like somebody who the players would uh, be all in on with his aggressive approach to the, uh, the Mets who seem to be on a quest to be hit by more pitches than any team in the history <laughs> of baseball. Uh, but when it started to feel like it was a bit much in Washington and he's, uh, first one out of the dugout to confront that situation, whether or not that's your favorite part of the game. Um, and for me, it's not, but uh, that certainly is something that I think players will have stick in their mind for the rest of this season or the rest of the time they play for him. Right. Um, so I, I can see that, that leadership quality, um, that maybe wasn't as easy to see, with the last couple of Mets managers. Um, does it, you know, does it matter that you really command the room or the situation or, or all that? I, I don't know, but um, somebody who, who I think can approach things in a confident way and not come off like they have no clue what they're doing. Um, that's a, a refreshing take uh on on Mets manager right um yes and who, who knows like the fact that he's a Seinfeld character might buy him a lot of goodwill <laughs> in my mind I don't know but but I didn't like Mickey Calloway the first time I heard him speak in person and by no means I remember that yeah by no means could I say that I had any idea of like his shittiest qualities I obviously couldn't conclude it from that, but I just didn't like the way the guy spoke and interacted. Um, and as somebody who came into this offseason not being uh, you know, on, on the Buckshaw Walter train, I, if anything, probably leaned against wanting him as the Mets manager. Um, but I, I've, I've been happy with his approach and his answers. Um, and yeah, hopefully that'll be something that we get to uh, continue thinking. Yeah. You know, he seems like a guy who is going to put himself between 
the players and whatever's going on to protect the players. That was, you know, him stepping out of the dugout when the when the hit by pitch happened. And it seems like he's willing to talk to the press to avoid a player having to take a fall. You know, it just seems like he's a very protective manager. And after a manager in Louis Rojas, who I, I happen to think was probably a good guy and unfortunately was probably just a little bit too young or too inexperienced to be an effective manager and now may never get another chance because that's just what happens when guys flame out in baseball sometimes. But, you know, I think Rojas was a little bit too young to the to the whole managerial game that he wasn't great about putting himself out there in front of his players. And I think Mickey Calloway was similarly very bad at that. I mean, Mickey Calloway, uh, you know, almost had Jason Vargas uh, <laughs> beat someone up on his behalf. Not really, but you understand what I'm saying. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, so it just seems like Buck is a very, very big change from that and one the team could probably have have used and appreciated. So, yeah, I, I think Buck's doing a good job so far. You know, I I think his bullpen management's always going to be a little bit off because, excuse me, oh, because managers are just bad at bullpen management. It's it's kind of true everywhere, and I think that he's going to get a little bit too old school for me in a couple of ways, specifically with all the bunting and base stealing we've seen attempted so far. But so far, it hasn't come back to bite them too badly. So I'm I'm willing to give him a little bit of a of a benefit of the doubt with that. Um, is there anything else from the first week that you want to talk about that you think is like a, that is necessary to talk about right now? Um, several hitters have been good, but but we uh, uh, <laughs> we're both tired, so yes, we are. <laughs> so we can we can focus them on them a little bit more. But I was going to throw a, a little a little you know question your way. Sure, um, sure. I like questions. That, hold on. Oh wait, did the answer change? No, no, it didn't. Okay, so. No minimum on plate appearances. Can you guess who the Mets leader in WRC plus is right now? WRC plus. He leads the way with a 238. Wow. <laughs> um, I have a guess, but I think it's wrong because I don't think WRC plus would factor in on base percentage as highly as it would need to for this to be the answer. But is it Eduardo Escobar? Uh, no, he's third. So he's off to okay. an excellent start. Brandon Nimmo is second, but in five plate appearances, Travis Jankowski <laughs> is first. Janko, okay. Yep, 600 on base percentage and 500 slugging, uh, <laughs> even though he's only hits a single. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, yeah, um, obviously, I am not concluding that Jankowski is their best hitter, but it, it's been nice, you know, just as a quick hitting uh, comment here, it's been nice to see that most of the lineup has been hitting well. Um, uh, only a couple guys who are in there regularly, uh, Starling Marte, Robinson Cano have, have struggled. Dom Smith hasn't gotten off to a hot start in his relatively limited playing time, although not, as limited as you might think. Um, but last year was just sort of a, a I don't know, the, the mystery of how you have a lineup that look 
like you had major league hitters in it top to bottom with maybe the exception of J- um, James McCann once we saw more of him. It, this feels different. This feels like, oh, okay, yeah, there's, um, you know, Jankowski and his tiny sample aside, there's five, six, seven hitters who have gotten plate appearances, uh, you know, with regular playing time who are hitting well. And that plus good starting pitching is going to win this team games, even if, like I said earlier in this podcast, even if the bullpen is responsible for 50% of the losses, which would be insane. I still think the Mets could, uh, you know, could be a playoff team if their lineup and, and starters are this solid. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that at all. So, yeah, we can we can delve more into them specifically, but it's, it's just nice to see guys get off to a uh, good start. And Francisco Lindor, I think, is going to have a fantastic year. And... Uh, he's one of the several players who's who's hit well early. Yes. Um, my brother had texted me during the game, I think it was yesterday, and said, like, wow, Lindor is already looking better than last year and then was caught stealing like 10 seconds later. <laughs> um, but, you know, in terms of actual hitting, I absolutely agree with you. Yeah. So... All right, Chris, well, what is your music pick for this week? So I looked back and I... Maybe we have a mistake in the spreadsheet. I don't know. But somehow I have never recommended a Courtney Barnett album, which seems impossible. Um, I've dipped into Australian music quite a bit in my recommendations over, over the years with this show. Um, she's probably my second favorite Australian artist after King Gizzard and somehow haven't made a recommendation. So she does have a record that's a little more recent than this came out. Uh, was recording during um, still uh, probably, you know, the worst of the pandemic or, or at least the uh, second worst phase of it where, you know, everybody wasn't vaccinated yet and still very limited in terms of what was safe and, and all that. Right. So um, that record is more recent and I'd recommend listening to uh all of her music, but the record Tell Me How You Really Feel is the second of her three LPs, technically. I mean, she made a lot of good music before the first record came out. Um, but Tell Me How You Really Feel is just a nice blend of uh, her range, I think. Um, has her heaviest song on it, has a couple what would you decide as her heaviest song oh i'm not your mother i'm not your bitch for sure i, I would agree I, w- <laughs> I wasn't sure if you if you had a divisive opinion in there yeah no no no. and then that that song live she and her band at least when i saw it um in prospect park a few summers ago um they added like a slayer intro so like all the lights on the stage were red uh you know just a little instrumental like super heavy intro leading into the song um so yeah that record is has got it all in terms of what i think she can do and what she's capable of uh, of of writing um then i truly think she is 
like one of the most talented uh, combination of that her vocals, her actual guitar playing, and then her approach to songwriting and, and lyrics. And I wish I, I am so envious of the fact that she can just stream of consciousness is probably not the exact right way of describing her lyrics, but she can just take words that work in the story. She's telling you with the song that for me, nobody else could twist the words to fit or maybe, you know, unconventionally fit into um, what she's doing with the rest of the song. Like she can, it's just this combination of singing and like conversational and like if these few words run over where if I was writing it, I'd say like, oh, yeah, no, like the, 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 the verse ended there. So like the verse lyrics have to end there, too. And she she's just been like, nope, that's not true. I got other words and they're going to go on that other part. And like and, and it sounds great. And I'm so I don't know. I'm so uh, in admiration of that ability um, to say what she wants to say and to make it fit into the music she writes and to not have it sound awkward. Uh, so yeah, tell me how you really feel. That's how I really feel about uh, her music. And and I think you can't go wrong with any of her records, but a long overdue recommendation for one of them, uh, my favorite. Yeah, uh, she also loves a portmanteau. Uh, Avant Gardner, Depreston, you know, she loves combining two words together. Yes. And why not? That's fun. Uh, an excellent pick. That That is probably actually my least favorite of her full-length albums. But <laughs> and it's not saying it's not good. It's just that I, I, I think I'd reach for the other two before I'd reach for that one. And I may reach for the, uh, the double EP record before I reach for any of the other ones, actually. Yeah, that's a damn good one. Yeah, I also really like her one with Kurt Vile, the lot of sea lights. I know you're not as much of a Kurt Vile fan as I am, so no. But I've I've been more open to him since uh, his solo set at Woodsist last fall. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, yeah. So I think I have to give that record a little more attention than I have before. That's fair. Um, so I was recently in, in Los Angeles uh, on a work trip, and I went to the legendary Amoeba Records, but I. I was held up getting there and I was meeting somebody for a drink like 20 minutes later. So I did not have enough time to fully delve into the stacks at Amoeba and do as much record shopping as I would like to. So I picked up a couple of albums. Uh, actually, two records I bought new are former recommendations on this podcast. And then I went to the dollar section or the, the, the clearance, whatever it's called there. I was poking around. I do that at every record store because you never know what you're going to find. And what I always try and do in those instances is I try and buy a record that I've never heard of before, that I'm not familiar with, but I'm judging by its cover. I'm doing the thing you're not supposed to do, which is judging a book by its cover. But I, I just find that uh, album art is is always uh, something I love to look at. And not all the time, but a lot of the time, I think it's pretty easy to get a sense of the tone of a record from just looking at the sleeve. So this is by an artist who goes by the name S., it's spelled out E-S. And the name of the album, and I wrote this out phonetically so I would be able to say it uh, on the show if I can find where I did this in what, in what window. Okay, here we go. 
I believe it is pronounced satin caris sudelma. It's a very long word, and it is not necessarily a word. I I don't know if it means anything. I don't know if it's supposed to be, uh, if it's another language, if it's a made-up word. I have no idea what it is. But um, the album cover just looked very interesting to me. And, you know, it was not sealed. So I was able to open it up and sort of look around. And the the instruments that were played are listed as violin, cello, guitar, saxophone, and then two people on Casio keyboard. And I was like, yep, this is for me. This is going to be weird. <laughs> and I'm going to enjoy this. And uh, the artist that goes by S, his name is, uh, I'm going to butcher this, but uh, Sammy Sanpalkila. I believe he is, uh, his family is of, of um, Indian or Pakistani descent. I really don't know much about him. This is, this is the first thing I ever heard by him. But uh, I didn't want to wait till I got home to listen to it. So I actually pulled up the record on Spotify. And it's there. And it is it is drony beautifulness. And I love a drony record that just every song goes on too long. And that's exactly what happens here. The shortest song, there's like an introduction song. I don't really count. It's a minute and a half long. The shortest song is eight minutes. The longest song is 22 minutes. Uh, just really beautiful, slowly building mixture of like Indian droning type music as well as some some Casio keyboards and some uh yeah there is some guitar and some saxophone it's it's it, it is it is so unbelievably in my wheelhouse that I'm surprised I had never heard of it before and I'm glad I took I think it was a two dollar record and it's a double double LP so I, I paid you know very little for it and I, I'm very glad I took the chance on it and I want to dig into the discography of this artist, but when your name is S E S, it is very hard to Google. Uh, and it's, it's just, it, it is a harder person to track down than you may think, but I'm looking forward to checking out more from S because I, I really do enjoy this record a lot. And I can, I can tell that, you know, 99% of the people that we, to listen to our show will probably want nothing to do with this, and and that is totally understandable. Uh, I I would understand if no one wants to listen to this. However, if you like Indian music of any kind, if you like anything that could be labeled as like droning or as uh, sort of bordering on like ambient, I think this may be something that you're interested in. And it's certainly the weirdest record I've I've picked up blind as of late, and. Uh, I, I recommend anyone that has a turntable or a CD player go into a used record shop, go to the clearance section, just take a chance because in our world of curated playlists, of which I very much appreciate, it's nice to find something that is truly just a random stab in the dark and isn't because you listen to four other things and the algorithm tells you this goes together. So that is my pick. I'm not going to try and pronounce it again. It's in the show notes. <laughs> I like it. Um, but anyway, thank you all for listening. Uh, thank you to the Mets for an enjoyable first week of baseball. The Mets are returning home now. They're going to be home for about a week. Next time we speak, the Mets' first homestand of the season will be well underway. We'll hopefully have an update on some injuries. We'll hopefully have a little more uh, Tyler McGill to celebrate. We'll have another Scherzer start. There's all good stuff. I feel, I feel, I feel shockingly optimistic about this team based on how pessimistic I've been in-game. This is so much this year. Like I recapped today's game, the whole game, I was just like, 
we have this term at Amazing Avenue called getting cabbaged. So like, I kept waiting to get cabbaged the whole game. That I was writing up this Mets win and they were going to blow it. And I felt that way a couple of times so far this season. But I'm really very optimistic about the team. And if 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 they can put together a really strong April and May without DeGrom, then that's a really exciting thing when they come back. So thank you to everyone involved. Thank you for listening. Please go to AmazingAvenue.com where you can find lots more Mets content, news, analysis, um, game recaps. It's all there. Check it out at AmazingAvenue.com. Amazing Avenue is also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. You can find this show and the other Amazing Amazing Avenue shows, Unformidable, A Pot of Their Own, From Complex to Queens. You can find all of them on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get podcasts. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Chris is on Twitter at Chris McShane. I am on Twitter at Brian It's an app. And until next time, let's keep up this 5-2 and two start and put together a winning homestand. And so to do that, we must, of course, say, let's go Mets. Let's go Mets.